track my friend here is Armand Van Helden Armand Van Helden Armand Van Helden well something our viewers don't know we just saw each other for the first time since like January it was nice to see you in, in the flesh yes with the ducks have missed each other I know yeah yes we have yeah. that was good, it was good. It's, we were even trying to remember when we saw each other last and I can't believe like I feel like it took us a couple minutes to even remember when we last saw each other yeah and we, it came down Dominican Republic right that was yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but now we're back on Zoom and today we get to talk to one of our both of our heroes but before we do any of that we're going to talk about cooking a little bit so yeah let's uh, let's step into the kitchen So, um, I got a simple one today, but one thing I've realized is in the world of vegetables, there are certain vegetables that in certain parts of the world, people just don't know as much. It's funny how there's like cultural vegetables. Cultural vegetables. Yeah. I'm going to talk about leeks. <laughs> leeks. My mom would make leek salad. It's a very French thing. And then, you know, moving to the States, when I, once I was an adult, I realized there's a lot of people that don't eat leeks. So I'm going to break down how to do the, the typical French thing is just leeks with a vinaigrette. Well, wait a minute. Is, the, is there another term for leeks? I don't think so. Leeks aren't endive, right? No, different. Totally different. Totally different. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay. No problem. Leeks okay. look almost the shape of a celery except they're not hollow like it's just oh, it's okay I, I, I yeah i know it's yeah Le- leeks is in the onion family yeah it's in the onion family okay got it. so the leek but not the- scallions sorry not scallions not scallions okay got it okay they have a very soft taste I, i'm a fan of the leek okay all you need to do is, <laughs> is is know how to cook the leek and then how to make a vinaigrette and that's it then it's leek vinaigrette there's two ways to cook leeks as far as i know you can boil them or you can stick them in the oven I'm partial to boiling them because it just has, it, it, it becomes uh, even softer. Your leek is kind of long and it's got like, it's got like longer green shoots on top. It's got long hair. You want to give it a little bit of a quick haircut before you cook it. So you boil some water. All you need is like three, four leeks. And that's even enough for a couple people because they're pretty big. You cut the longer part of the green stuff on top. If anything, you're just you're gonna need to fit this in the saucepan or whatever. So you cut the end off with your knife. You also make a, a slit lengthwise. I don't even know why, but barely supposed to do that. Throw them in boiling water for like 12 minutes. That's it. You, your leek will be cooked. Then you make your vinaigrette. My vinaigrette is pretty simple. I'll do let's say two tablespoons of olive oil, one tablespoon either a red wine vinegar or a little bit of lemon juice. Sometimes I even do both. One tablespoon red wine vinegar, a little bit of lemon juice because I have lemons that grow in the back, so I like a little extra taste. One tablespoon of um, Dijon mustard, salt and pepper, mix it up, toss that generously over the leeks. The leeks end up almost bathing in the vinaigrette. And then if you want, you can add capers or you can add the little cornichon, the little mitten. By the way, how do you properly say that word? Cornichon. Cornichon? Yeah. Co- like, so corny. Cornichon. That's, like, that's a corny dude. Cornichon? <laughs> yeah. That- cornichon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I was saying cornichons. I think I was always saying it right. I just was never sure I was saying it right. 
So I had it. Nice to know. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's my my leek vinaigrette. Great little side dish. Awesome. On to you, my friend. Yeah, I don't have a very special one this week, but um, again, I have to stress that I just throw down food as fast and as easy as possible with the least amount of effort and cooking. <laughs> so oh, this fine. is going to be one of those. I basically, for today, I'm doing linguine pesto. And the reason why I'm doing it is because it's probably the simplest and tastiest and fastest pasta you could, fastest pasta you can possibly make. It's kind of a tongue twister. I'm very much into the quality ingredients again. So imported Italian linguine, organic would be nice. And, and make sure, and the green says 100% semiolina wheat. That's mm-hmm. it. Not like semiolina wheat with like fortified with iron and this just not that not that but the good stuff so you take the linguine you boil it al dente specifically put in the strainer drain it you have the pesto and i buy pre-made pesto and again the pesto itself is from italy imported pre-made in a glass jar all you have to do at that point is put the the drained linguine back into the pan that you boiled it in unscrew the the pesto jar, scoop out all the pesto, drop it down into the, the linguine, mm-hmm. get extra virgin olive oil. Um, I prefer Frantoa, which is the Sicilian brand. Good amount of olive oil. You can just, this is just to throw it all in and you can add more olive oil as needed. Mm-hmm. Stir it up with the pesto, stir it all up, da 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 da, just get it all nice, evenly textured. You can tell by the way your spoon's going around if you need more olive oil because the, the pesto isn't really enough and it'll, it'll be too too clumpy and sticky. That means mm-hmm. put more olive oil. You got to get the pesto completely around all the spaghetti. All no spaghetti left behind. <laughs> A linguine left behind, I should say. Get some, you know, cherry tomatoes, cut them in half. Maybe like um, like a handful of cherry tomatoes, just cut them in half. Spin them around in the pot with all the pesto and everything. That's it. Cool. Right onto the plate. It's that simple. It's literally one of the fastest and delicious pastas you can make. It's it's just no no effort. All you have to do is cook the noodles. Wonderful. Yes. What are we gonna do now? What do we what do we talk about next? I think now is the ast- astrology section where we go into the astrological dimensional states of reality. Me and okay. Adrian tell each other each other's horoscopes. Uh, I'm Aquarius, HRX Aries, and um, you want to start it off? Sure. All right. Here is Armand's Aquarius horoscope for the week. Living in a shifting world can be so hard and so disorienting. It can make you crave a reality that's unchanging. Even if the stable world is a bad one, at least you know what to expect. At least you know what the rules are so that you can choose to follow them or break them. This week, you'll have to embrace uncertainty. You might have to act before you're fully sure. You might have to make a choice before you know all the terms you're agreeing to. This week, feeling your way forward might be the best way to get where you need to be. I am a break the rules pattern. Of, I'm a habitual line step. Yeah. Sure <laughs> and I, will be, I will watch out this week. <laughs> yeah. You're a good instinct follower. And I think it's, this is just telling you, even if you don't fully know where it's taking you, follow your hunch. Instinct is everything, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost, it's almost yeah. more important than what your senses tell you. Instinct should be like the sixth sense at this point. They should just scientifically say, yeah, that's, that's actually <laughs> next to sight in hearing. It's a thing. The spidey sense. My partner, Atrax Horoscope. This week, you might feel like you're not made for these times, like you're too reckless and real and alive for a world that just wants to be docile and sensible. If life feels hard lately, remember that the problem has nothing to do with you 
Rather, if there's a problem, it's that you're living in a host in hostile conditions in a world that tries to stifle everything good and strange and sweet inside you. Mm. This week, try not to cave to the world's demands, but instead push back. Try to find ways to be free. To, be, you, to, be, to be you. Okay. Even yeah. So yeah. I'm down with that. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I like to fight for what I believe in. Yes. I'm not going to let the world push me over. Yes. You're a champion. <laughs> okay. Literally. <laughs> DMC champion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This uh, I think we're both excited about this week's episode. I think a lot of our viewers will be surprised to know you. So we're talking to Kenny Dope today, and and you and Kenny, a Mr. Kenny Dope, Mr. Kenny Dope, Mr. Kenny, oh Sir, Sir Kenny Dope, Sir Kenny Dope, Sir Kenny of Dope, Sir Kenny is Dope. You know, masters at work and all, all and and all his all his achievements by by himself too. Big big influence on on both of us. Maybe even a more of a direct influence on you in terms of the timeline, and then on me later on. But yeah, I was gonna say maybe our, our viewers might be surprised in that you and Kenny have, although you've crossed paths a bunch of times, you you never really had like an extended conversation with the guy up until today, which is which is wild. If you could summarize in one sentence what Kenny means to you, what would you say? Number one thing is his contribution to the New York house sound. Mm-hmm. And the New York house sound has a hip hop background, period, period. And that's something that people have to understand. Like Kenny Dope is in a sense, like he's premier of house music or the Jay Dilla of house music. You know what I mean? Like he is like quintessentially probably the best beat maker house music's ever had without it, without a question. He says in the interview that in this genre, drums are first. And it's true. Really, at the end of the day, this is house music. It's rhythmic first. Like it's drums, then bass. That's the definition of house music in its simplest forms. And I think Kenny, if not one of the most important people in house music, period, because he's harnessed the, the primal, most important things to house music and, and, it's, and it's excelled this thing. He just excelled it for the future. And we're still trying to figure out his swing and all these things. So, I mean, it's just, you know, for me, I wouldn't be in this career if I wasn't trying to emulate him, you know, honestly. So that's Kenny Dope for you. Let's bring him in. Well, we should say welcome, Kenny Dope. Welcome, Kenny Dope. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it, man, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you, Alain, you can start some stuff off and I'll, I'll get in. So. Sure. I mean, you know, maybe why don't we just start from the beginning, Kenny? I know you're from Brooklyn, right? Yes, sir. Sunset Park. So, so. Yeah, 70s uh, baby. 70s baby. So, all right. So, actually, here's, here's a question. Here, you know? That's dope. That's dope. So, does that mean that you, 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 you witnessed the start of hip hop? Yeah. Yeah. Like, were you even like, were you even DJing before hip hop was like formally a thing or did you? Well, I, I I saw on my block in Brooklyn when I grew up, there was these two brothers across the street from the house. They would come set up outside on weekends. You know, okay. um, that was the first time I seen anybody cut two records okay. back to back. The same record. What like, around, what, around what year? I'm like, what is he doing? You know what I'm saying? This yeah. has got to be 1978. 
Wow. wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. 79? Yeah. I was nine years old, eight or nine years old. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I used to go to the store for my mom's on the corner, but on the same side of the block. But they were across the street. So I would just be like, you know what I mean? Just like, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would go, and they were cutting the part up. And I would come back, and the same part was on. And I'm like, what are they doing? You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand what was happening. And they were doing that outside? They would do it in front of, like, their brownstone, like, inside the gate. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? They would set up their, their, their joints right there. That's some right there. Yeah, it was crazy. But at the same time... um, I was listening to the radio, you know, and, and recording and, and, and listening to stuff. And that was the first time I heard all that stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, and then little by, I found HBI, WHBI, which was um, awesome too. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and I started listening to them and started making recording. And that was the yeah. first, the yeah. first thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Early cool. on. And then obviously later Magic and Marley. Recording on cassette on the radio, right? On cassette, right? On cassette, yeah. 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 You know, Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Mr. Magic came after that. And then on the on the dance side, you know, we were hearing Humphreys and Latin Rascals and um a lot of that going on yeah. on the same station. On the same station. It was crazy because one once one show finished, the other show started. And the Rascals were infamous for doing Wait, these. Wait, how about how far back are we talking Latin Rascals right now? How far back? 83, 84. What? I didn't know they went that back. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. There's some crazy tapes. I could send you some tapes, like some of that stuff. Um, them them playing like prelude hip hop shit, like yeah. C three and all that kind of stuff. Like C three. That's crazy. Get yeah. tough. Yeah. That's awesome. That's and cool. were they were they making like um, their edits and, and and playing that kind of stuff? Rascals, what they Rascals had like half an hour. Okay, that's all they had. That's it. Yeah. Okay, and then they but they would in the half an hour they were doing edits, so, so they would yeah. actually record that stuff and pre-record it and play it. Yeah. So, um, that's but crazy. they were crazy, and then later on they went to um, Paco, who had this Paco Supermix. Okay, and, and then um. <laughs> They were doing the shows on that too, but those were 15 minutes. Wow. They were weird. They were like maybe 14, 7, 13 minutes because of because of drops and for commercials. Yeah. It was weird. So like 17 so minutes. It, um, yeah. Is it safe know? to say they were like the first, the first like a mega mix? It's kind of like that yeah, that term, that's right? Exactly what it was. Yeah. Got it. They, got were, it. they were just crazy. The way like they Stein, what's it? What's it? Joe Joe and Steinsky or Junebug and Steinsky? Double D and Steinsky. Oh. Double D is the like but something like that, right? Yeah, but even crazier than that. Oh, even crazier. Okay. crazier than that. Okay. The thought process was crazy, like how they used to edit. And and okay. I don't know if you guys ever did this making records and stuff, but editing is very technical and it's mathematical. Like you got to know, like the way the chops oh, yeah. come in and the way you're they talking about edit. real to real edits. Yes. Yeah, real to yeah. real edits is like yeah. all like you got to. It's all about measurements and stuff like that. It's crazy. Like the kick, <laughs> how how much the kick is this and the snare and the hi hats and they would trip them out. Yeah. So all this stuff that we do in Ableton now, yeah. they were doing on tape with razors. That's sure. right. It's Even crazy. before, was this before Omar Santana? It was before him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Omar I, 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 and Omar it. took it to the next level. 
even yeah, because his thought process was even crazier. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like he was doing like breaks and beats and just stutter edits and all kinds of weird. Like now you have a plugin that does that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was doing this on tape, you know. Yeah, every so when I listen to, I'm sure you know the Sweet Sensation, Hooked on You, Dub. Crazy. Time, that crazy. thing is. That thing is that's real to real tape, and I play it for people, and I'm telling them. Every single chop is like an inch or a half inch or these little things that they cut, tape, put back together, played it. And guess what? Maybe it was off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and they had to like no, do it. Crazy. Yeah, you couldn't mix over that part of the record. You no, couldn't you pick couldn't up the it. it was like all over the place. Yeah. Like, what's crazy about that is, so you t- we're talking the 80s. I'm 13, 83, 84, 14. I get a job at a record store in 85 okay. in, in my neighborhood. Now, at the store, I meet obviously other kids, other DJs, other whatever, not producers yet. But, mm-hmm. you know, we meet other guys that are, you know, with similar tastes and all that kind of stuff. So I meet this kid named Franklin Martinez. Now, he was more sick than Omar. What? Kid. That's great. Now, that was his idol. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Back then. <laughs> but he was just like, crazy sick with it man yeah and he came up what's crazy is he came up with the name masters at work oh wow oh, really yeah this guy so, franklin martinez franklin martinez so wow okay now okay. another another good friend of mine who who i still in touch with and everything mike delgado you might have seen his I name know mike delgado. okay yeah. so mike was the other masters at work Master. Ever. Okay, okay. You know what? So Todd okay. gave me this story a little bit so, too. So yeah. now it's us three creating this thing, right? Okay. So then through the store and all that, we meet Todd because Mike knew some mutual friends that Todd knew or whatever. So mm-hmm. Todd being from Brighton Beach would come to our area and then we all linked up. At that time, Todd was already getting his feet wet with some stuff. Yeah, he already had did Bad Boys, the Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget, right? Yeah, he already did. Um, he was working with Houdini. Yeah, he was working with. Um, he was friends with the CD3 guys, so he was already doing records. And then, um, he came in, and we was like, that was like next level for us because we were just doing our parties in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and here he was coming with these real to real tapes yeah. of stuff he was working on. Yeah, which yeah. was like. Um, early on, Black Riot, uh, shit, okay. unreleased stuff that I still got. Um, yeah. uh, party people with with no samples on it. Okay, uh, <laughs> just the track, just the yeah. track, just yeah, the track yeah. with the drums with the with the with the chords in it, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. So we were playing this stuff at the parties. So he would, he was like, oh. So then it kept growing from there. Yeah. But then like this this whole mystique about Todd with masses at work, and it was basically that. He was already starting to do different records under different names. Yes. For contractual reasons. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So he was like, yo, I need the name. He was like, can I use Mazda Work? I was like, go ahead. But I'm planning to do this. I want it back. <laughs> so that's why he released them two joints. Yeah. Masters at Work. And then when we was ready. That's on here. Listen. 
is ready to go, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, you know, it's funny. Brooklyn history there. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Kenny, even just listening to you talk, I'm, there's so many things that you've already mentioned where I was aware of a piece of it, of what you're talking about, but I never thought of the reason. So even just mentioning like how, by, by the way, even just both of you have had so many aliases. I've never even thought of the simple fact that it was because it, you're assigning records to different labels. Yeah. That's probably why you had the aliases. Two reasons. It was two reasons. A, we wanted a lot of records out at the same time. And the only way to have a lot of records out at the same time was to go under different names. Mm -hmm. yeah. Secondly, it was because of the contracts. Like, right. dudes was trying to sign, lock you up for, for 10 records, especially when they saw new talent coming through. So yeah. they were like, yo, you know, we, we want this, boom, boom, boom. They're like, nah, okay, you could do that, have that name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then go over, here with the go over here, go and then go over here. Because, yeah. you know, it's about exposure, right? So basically, that was our social media so to speak that was our way to get out and for people to hear us was to do records and time them yeah. so you have on a friday four joints came out on a friday same time <laughs> different label yeah, yeah. You know what i mean and and that was the thing so now you're creating a buzz you're also creating a fan base because now these kids keep coming back wanting product you know what i'm saying yeah and then something i took it another a, a step further when I started doing the the stuff with Louie and stuff, like on cutting and, and these labels, I was like, look, I I'm a hip hop head. I started playing reggae and hip hop. That was my thing. Mm -hmm. right? Start, right? The house came after. Yeah. Well, I, wanna, so, I wanted to ask you that. Like, how specific is it? What's the specific story? Because your background similar to mine. We're kind of the same age. I also was hip hop first then house. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's the thing? Let's say, let's just, what's the, the house record that you were like, what's the track that you were like, whatever that is, that's dope. And I think I want to try and make that. And then, or, and secondly, who introduced you to, who played that record for you or told you about house music and kind of brought you into that, that perspective. The store introduced me to house. Okay. Oh. It's, okay. it's 1985. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now one of the things about working at the store, I had to learn about all kinds of music. Yeah. The boss, the Joe, Joe, the owner was like, look, you came here a few times to get a job. You want to work here. You got to know about rock music. You got to know about Latin music. You got to yeah. learn about um, all this other craziness, alternative, mm -hmm. this, this and that. And that. Okay. Yeah, but you want the job, right? But that was the best thing that ever happened to me, man. When he told me that shit, because yeah. basically now. I got to soak it up. Now, somebody comes in the store singing some record. I got to know what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the first person they come into. Yeah. Right. So now I'm starting to learn about a lot of stuff. Now there's this one little section, a cutout section is the dollar band. Right. This dude used to bring these dollar records every week, week and a half. That's where all the breaks were. Yeah. And I realized that when I started seeing these records, I'm like, what's that? So my boss was like, look, he's the one who first told me about Bob James. Okay. He's like, Bob James is, is too smooth, but he's got breaks on his stuff. He talked straight up told me because he was a Led Zeppelin head. Okay. <laughs> he, knew, he knew about, you know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. he introduced me to that, but that was the best thing 
being at that store because I learned about everything. And looking back at it now, it was the best seasoning that you could have because of that. So now to answer your question, so we're at 85. You have freestyle music, Latin hip hop, Mm -hmm. right? You have hip hop, Mm -hmm. rap stuff, Mm -hmm. right? You got, now you got this house stuff coming in. They call it disco classics so far at that time. Let no man put us under the, the South Soul things. That was already disco classics at that time. But okay. house comes in. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> right? So yeah. now I'm on. So now I, I graduated a little bit. Right? So now I'm buying for the store. I'm talking to distributors now. Right? Mm-hmm. So. There's a distributor in, in Chicago called Barney's. There's, there's a few, different and j in the Bronx. There was a bunch of them. They all had different stuff. So my job was to bring in the titles. I get introduced. I didn't know, I didn't know what house was. I just, I'm a hip hop and reggae. I'm like, what is this stuff? But anyway, <laughs> people started asking for it. Because at that same time, um, the garage was still open. Mm-hmm. Live band was still playing. There was people in the neighborhood, older heads, that was going out to the city. They would come back and they wanted these records. Some of these records were too, he was playing them really early. Some of them were out. They were coming out. So tracks happened to be that label that first came, mm-hmm. then DJ International. Mm-hmm. So I was bringing all that stuff in. And then um, I used to deal with this other distributor called Gherkin. Yeah. Who he... he he so he was the one who put out the first finger stuff and all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing about you know. Yeah. Well, listening which one, which to one it. hit you then? Like if you could think of one in particular that you were like, like basically what I'm asking is, is what's the one that you were like, I want to try that now. Like I know we're gonna have to we're jumping ahead. No, of so check it out. So I'm so I'm getting to that. So so okay. so 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 these records are in. Now I'm like I could do this stuff. <laughs> no, no, and in my head, I'm like saying yeah, to myself yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I've from from '83 yeah. to the time period. I'm I'm at home trying to figure out what the James Brown breaks like the sounds. I didn't I didn't understand what was happening yet. I'm yeah. trying to figure out, so I'm reprogramming these records, but with a drum machine. But yeah. I'm not getting yeah. the same sound. Like well, how? Yeah. But, so I'm yeah. trying. I'm playing around with this. Yeah. So when the house stuff came in, I started doing house breaks first. Yeah, exactly. Like beat records. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. what what I was doing was I made those first because when we were doing our parties, they were seg. I used them as segues. So I would I would chop up some stuff or sample some stuff and make a beat and then mess with it. But when I when I heard um, when I heard Adonis, when I heard Can You Feel It, mm-hmm. when I heard um, Marshall Jefferson, mm-hmm. when those records came in, yeah, I was like, wow, that's 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 another that's a whole another lane. And mind you, during this whole process, I'm soaking up all this music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm learning about arrangements. The 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 house the house music with vocals makes sense to me because. I'm already in the store. I'm selling all this music. So it's like, it's, it's all, it's like, it's, it's, it's forming. 
Yeah. Like yeah. my brain is starting to form and my style is starting to form. And, sure. you know, I'm experimenting, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it's taking shape little by little, but the store made that happen. You know what I'm saying? The store made that happen. Awesome. Yeah, I, I um, I'm when you did the the conversation with Jazzy Jeff on Serato's podcast, mm-hmm. I remember you said something that that tripped me out. Where you you explained that when you were making those break records and you would put like a reggae vocal of, over a hip hop beat, you said that you would use that as, as a transition in your set if you were trying to go from hip hop to reggae or the other way around. I never thought about it that way. That it was a tool to go from one genre to another in the set. We didn't have anything else. Yeah. You know? make it yeah right yeah how to make it to to make that happen you know what i'm saying and it was it was you know my thing was you know again going back to the rascals going back to humphreys going back to all the stuff that i'm listening to as a kid like as i'm i was younger yeah like yo like that'll be dope if i take this beat and put this over this and then i have this to unify it and then i could play it Boom, and then I come out, and then I I'm here, and then I'm there, you know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. early Serato, it's early all the stuff that you that you and, do. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's Look. all that stuff. Yeah. But we had to put it on real to real to play yeah. it because yeah. we wasn't making acetates every week, and yeah. we didn't have the so money. You, bringing, you, you had a real to real at the club. At you bring the real to real at the club. There was no. It wasn't a club. Okay. okay. <laughs> when we did the parties at this yeah. shit was on top of Tom McCann. Remember Tom McCann's shoe store? Yeah, I do know Tom McCann. Anybody yeah. old enough to see? Uh, remember Tom McCann's shoe store? Well, anyway, I do Tom remember McCann, Tom McCann. Yeah. Okay. But, Tom McCann was like the the cheap shoe store that was in the neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We used to rent the top of Tom McCann because my man's <laughs> father ran Little League baseball, and he did his Little League baseball on top. So he was like, on the weekends, it was open. Okay, so it was like a rooftop party. No, it was on top of Tom McCann and the floor. Just all the space like, on top of Tom McCann. Got it. Got yeah, it. it was like the floor used to. It was like bouncy. It was crazy. <laughs> it was like we we're gonna end up in the shoes once. You know, one time, you know what I mean? Like, but, but yeah. So we 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 rented that spot and we had two turntables, a mixer, and we had the reel to reel, and and we used to make these these blends. Yeah. Put them on reel, boom, play them in, mix them in. Used to use the uh, techniques you reel, how to pitch control. Yeah. And then mix them in, just boom, and then go from wherever. And that's how Todd used to bring us all the unreleased stuff too. That's on the reel. On that's the reel reels. Yeah. Crazy. But it's what did so, you, oh sorry, I'll go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna just to stay on the on the on the party records, yeah, Greek record theme for a sec. Because Kenny, I I, I mean I think you're you're credited as the first the first person to make or at least release 100 party breaks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and from what the way you're telling the story, it sounds like you basically you were probably influenced by the dudes that you were hearing on the radio, Latin Rascals, and you you, oh, have, yeah. you took that idea of and but what's the thing that's blowing my mind is when you're talking about how some of those guys on the radio, like Latin Rascals, they had such short time slots. I never thought of the fact that they were making mega mixes because the station would only give them like 15 or 30 minutes. That's it. Right? So they, <laughs> and so you took that and made party breaks that you actually released on wax. You were, you were the first to actually to put initially, those out. Initially I made them to, like I said, to, for segues. Yeah. And like, like, 
the way I, it was crazy. Two things. When I did Blood Bobs with yeah. Junior Reed, which mm-hmm. was a huge record in Brooklyn for us for playing. Yeah. But at the same time. Was that before Super? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And at the same time, you got Tribe Called Quest with Nita Applebaum. Yeah. 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 Big record. Yeah. Now, Louis playing at Roseland at this time. The Freestyle Club. He's playing for like 3,000 Latin kids, Puerto Rican. Is, is Roseland was a free, predominantly freestyle or is it hip hop as well? He played everything. He played, played hip hop. He played hip hop. He played reggae. He okay. played freestyle. He played house. He played everything. Okay. okay, cool. Now, you go to this club, Junior Reed won Blood was huge for him. Mm-hmm. And Bonita Applebaum was banging right at that time. Just yeah. the vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thing, I was like, I need to put those two together. And I did, and I said, if you listen to the record, it's both them records together. And that's and when I did that, I gave it to, to Louie and I gave it to Dave Morales. And Dave Morales was playing at Red Zone. He was playing hip hop too. Yep. It was crazy. That is so same thing. The hot dance did it in house. It was a house record. Yeah. It did that whole thing. You know, you know, you know, you know I know we uh, well, I probably shouldn't mention, but I Watching a movie after I knew the hard dance song, mm-hmm. I heard the line. You know, I'm not. I don't, I'm not sure if I should even say what it is. Where mm-hmm. you got the, the the vocal from? Yeah. And I'm literally like, what? It's all I can say is it's from a movie. That's all I'm gonna say. But I was like, yeah. I don't know how you turn that thing into that track. <laughs> like, and the effect you have on it, especially when it gets middle to the end, and like this weird delay you have on it. And it was. Again, that's a crazy record. Thank you. Again, it's it's that mixing of making collages, right? Yeah. Right now, right? Yeah. You got different yeah. colors, right? Yeah. So you got that vocal, and um, where did it come from? I, obviously, you were being funny. Like, I'm in the club. I'm in yeah. the club now. Yeah. There's um, there's a a, a seduction record. Mm-hmm. That has a piece of it in there. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. That CNC Music Factory did. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I'm like, they ain't do that shit right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let me make something for, for us to play. Got it. And that was it. And that was basically wow. and, and I'm basically crazy. taking the the drum pattern is 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 first choice, you know, saying yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let no man put us under. Yeah. But um the 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 siren. And all that. Yeah, yeah. Louis used to use that as a transition too. He used to put that over stuff. And oh. that, effect, and that yeah. effect, when I heard that, I was like, okay. So then I kind of made uh, it follow, crazy. I made it follow the vocals. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's crazy. It's just playing around. Yeah, but I, but I get it. And speaking of that, what, what equipment did you first use? I, I, I'm assuming SP1200, but I'm not sure. So. Listen, man. Yeah. Very primitive. Okay. And it was like, I had a, a t- uh, first I had a Casio RZ1. Okay. Yeah. That's what I did like PD Weestraw and all them records. Wow. And then okay. from that, I had um, SB1200. Okay. 950. Yeah. I had a Tascam, which I still got actually a 30, um, what is it? 2524, which is a 24 channel. Um, yeah. Board. That's so, yeah. I had a tape machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a cassette deck, yeah, and records. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> records. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. 
I made a lot of records. That setup alone, I made a yeah. lot of records with that setup for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like like even like moving into 90s, 91, 92, when I started working, when, when me and Louie formed Masters of Work, the production team, not so much the DJ crew, it was still the same. Like St. Antienne, same setup. Uh, when I started doing all those records, all those remixes, yeah, was still that setup. I love that. You know, it is if they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and that gives you your sound. It's kind of like when we talk about RZA or something, like what you have kind of your minimal equipment, you kind of make your best stuff on it for your life. Like that yeah. ends up ends up being the best thing you've ever done. And as soon as you get, oh, I'm going to try and upgrade and get to the next level. But you know how it is, man. You, you yeah, start, it's never as good again. <laughs> so You start making noise with stuff. Yeah. And then you, yeah. you start making some money. Yeah. So you want to buy more stuff. Yep. But yep. then all it does is it kind of like it dampens your whole. It does. It really does. It like closes you up, man. It does. Because you know uh-huh. even yourself, even yeah. yourself, like you, you had when, when, when you did that, that, that string of records. Yeah. Had a sound. Yeah. It was a sound there. Exactly. But then after a while, you changed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you changed. Yeah, yeah. But whatever you switched yeah. up on. Yeah, yeah. It, it changed the whole Armand. Uh, yeah, it does. You know you can just, all you can hope for is that the change is for the better, but sometimes it ain't. <laughs> so. more, more is less, right? Yeah. yeah. I always tell Todd, I always joke with Todd because I've been, I've been fighting with Todd for years. I'm like, <laughs> you need to make some of them old kind of records again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to find every piece of gear that you had. Yeah. And... I'm going to set up a joint. Yeah. And we were supposed to do this this year, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, find a board. And back, Todd's board was a, was, a, was a PA board. Like they used oh, to be For live? Yeah. Yeah. Ramza. This yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But that board, he had the sound. He had yeah. it. With, he was making yeah. crazy hits with that. that. Yeah, yeah. That's so I good. said, I'm going to get the board. I'm going to put the RZ one. I'm going to, the samplers, I'm going to bring in the keyboard and the tape machine. Yeah. And I'm locking you in the room. <laughs> I love it. I love and it. I'm giving you a creative records. I love yeah. it. Well, right? those SP-1200 discs, though, they don't load. You got to, like, blow on them and shake them. You know, like, right? Those old SP-1200 the discs. They load. They load. They load. You got to bang, <laughs> you gotta bang them around. You got to bang on the side and shit. Like, <laughs> you know, they load. But it's interesting hearing both of you talk because Armand, I remember when you and I started working more together, I was like, you surprised me a lot when you would tell me stories about how even like in the 90s, you were starting to produce on computers. Armand, you you always embraced new technology quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was early on the computer game. Like, like what were you using when you did um, Widow? Oh. Professional widow and what you did. So, um, so, so I also had minimal setup, but the, my main piece that I figured out. So, I had no mentor. Like I, I was coming from Boston. I wasn't from originally from New York, mm-hmm. so I had nobody to show me anything. So right. I ended up at like a music store in Boston, and um, I wanted. I saw. Do you know uh, Edo G and the Bulldogs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know personally, but I know you so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So their producer's name was Joe Mansfield. And he, oh yeah, I know Joe. Yeah, yeah. So he that was the first that was the first time I seen. He lived in his mom's basement, and it's the first time I saw that all these like it takes two is a James Brown loop, 
and he was, and then he, he had all the ultimate breaks and beats, and then he would have them on the emulator too, and he's showing me like, and he's, and chop drums, and I'm just, I'm losing my mind. And I was like, because I knew how to program at that point on drum machines, on right, you know, just and just get by on certain little MIDI and keyboards. But I was like, I want a sampler. So what I bought, I, again, I had no mentor, but I saw the emulator too, but it was a bit out of my range. So I went to the store, figured out this thing does what I needed to do, which was the Roland W30. Oh my God, that's what you use? That's it. That Roland W30. I did, I did all of them records, all my early records of Roland W30, basically up to probably 1997. So I used it for like a good four years or so. Sound, like, like we're talking yeah. about sound, right? Sonics, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like you got to tell Roland, say, yo, I need that shit on steroids right now because I want to make some new. By, I, by the way, I still have my W30 so I can use it. By, by the way, way, what I'm saying is we need that beefed up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so you're able to do more shit with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, that's crazy. That's dope. Yeah. So, by the way, how did you meet Louis Vick? We got to know that story. So, <sighs> Louis, I met through Todd. Okay. And um, is it because of the freestyle connection with Todd and Louis, or or is it just Todd and Louis were already working together? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. so Louis was big on the freestyle side, right? He was doing cover girls. He did Noel. He did all those big yeah. hip hop records, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Todd was already doing, he was starting to do those records too, as well. Yeah, too. The choral records and stuff. So, like when that. he was bringing them records to the club, that's how they, they linked up. Got now, it. there's a few records like DMS, like um, that Louis mixed for Todd, Black Riot records that he mixed for Todd. So, they were doing, wow. like, Louis was doing records for Todd. Todd was doing records for Louis. Okay. <laughs> So to speak. So then I had put out on that on Dope Wax, I had put out this record, A Touch of Salsa. Yeah. I have, yeah. That's right here. That came out. Yeah. And um, Louis was playing at the club. And Louis told Todd, I was like, yo, I got this record. I'm, re I'm really digging this record. He used a Latin sample. He's like, and Todd, Todd looked at the record. He's like, oh, that's Kenny from, from the neighborhood. And he's like, oh, you know him? He's like, so he's like, I want to remix that song. Louis says to Todd. So he's like, I'll, I'll hook it up. <laughs> Louis calls me up. He's like, yo, I would like to remix it. I'm like, look, I have the parts or whatever. This is how this is how I'm doing it. Whatever. The record never happened. So fast forward a little bit. He's like, I'm working with Mark Anthony on this album. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. He's like, I'm working on Mark Anthony. I got to deal with Atlantic. He's like, I want you to come in and see if you have any ideas. I said, okay, problem, whatever. So I go in, so I'm like, I'm hearing the beats or whatever, and I'm like, yo, like, give me a machine. <laughs> but at that time, I'm like I said, I'm I'm already gearing, this is this is 89, 90. So I'm already five years in of in the house, like losing my mind, trying to figure things out, figuring breaks out, this and that, boom, programming and all that. So I said I started doing the drums on the records. And then when 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 that happened, when he saw that, he was like, he saw the light bulb lit up and he was like, let's do something. Yeah. I was yeah. like, all right, whatever, let's do something. So yeah. I had the name and that's yeah. how it, that's pretty much how it clicked. So, yeah. so the record never happened. The remix never happened, but yeah. we have. Do you remember the first, this, you know, you remember the first record you guys put out together outside of that Mark Anthony record? Like as you and Louis as a team, as masters at work, I don't, I can't recall. That what's was the first record. The first record was the Ride on the Rhythm record. 
Yeah. There okay. was that. There was an India record I did with him. Okay. Um, I think that the Chrissy Aiz record, there was a Chrissy Aiz oh, record. Chrissy Aiz. Yeah. There was um Chris Cuevas, who was Debbie the Gibson's hip-hop boyfriend. The <laughs> hip-hop, that one? Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. That came after Debbie Gibson, though, because he... Okay, he had- oh, okay, yeah, so the, can I, I got to say something in this interview about the Debbie Gibson's, because this is important, this is something that I had a revelation on, was this is for all remix for anybody, this is unknown knowledge, of course, Kenny lived it and Louis lived it, but I don't think a lot of people know this, and it's specifically me when I was coming up, something that was... To me, that turned a corner, that Debbie Gibson. So there was a Debbie Gibson remix of One Step Ahead, right? Mm-hmm. On Atlantic yeah. Records, Masters at Work mix, right? And what Kenny and Louis did, I don't understand how even they got away with it. Maybe it's a Craig Cowman thing or something, but... I'll tell you Louis, yeah. So they get hired for this remix. Like, a Debbie Gibson's this pop artist. I'm sure they were like, whatever, the stems are trash. That they basically probably had some tracks on the wing and they were just like, this is genius. They go, we're just going to, this recent track we made, we're just going to give them that. And they sampled like Debbie Gibson saying like, ah, it's like <laughs> every eight bars, it would be like, ah, and I'm like, and it's a master. Basically it's an original masters at work song. Yeah. Uh-huh. Put into a Debsy Gibson remix, but it says masters at work remix, but then everybody killed the record was it was massive because everybody's like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with get Debbie Gibson. It's just an amazing track for the clubs right now. Mm-hmm. But that is when I got my first remix offers, I was like, I'm going to do that because right. that like Kenny was saying earlier about getting your, having a Friday and having four releases. That was also another hustle. So, they, but they invented, that was the first record that changed it for everybody where you could go, I have the power, not the A&R. I have the leverage. I want to do this. And the, the A&Rs would be like, there isn't anything in this remix from the original parts. And you're like, that's what I'm doing. And they would be like, okay. And they put it out and it would be big. But you guys invented that. You know what I'm saying? I don't think a lot of people know that. So Yeah, it's crazy because what happened was, Louis, like I said, Louis playing all this freestyle stuff. Yeah. The black crowd wasn't fucking with him. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. all. I know. Not, Louis can play his ass off. Like, he, he, he gets busy. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But he was like, I'm doing, I did all this stuff. He's like, but I want to do house music. I was like, all right, whatever. Easy, right? He's like, but, um, you know, I got these remixes to do. I said, well, why don't we just do, let's put something out on the flip side that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um. And you gotta well, may, you might not know, but the the they wanted Debbie in the clubs. <laughs> it wasn't gonna be with her shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't gonna happen. Not not in the clubs that they wanted her to be in. They wanted chart. They wanted a chart. They wanted billboard. They wanted that, right? They meaning the label, right? Yeah. They wanted they wanted her to chart, but she was already pop. Yeah. She was huge. She was yeah. young. Like the Britney, Britney Spears of her time. Basically. Right. Yeah. Doing her thing. And she was mad cool, too. We we, we did that st- stuff in her house. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So they're like, all right. So we, we came up with, at that time, a deep, you could call it Chicago. You could call it influences from wherever. 
Mm-hmm. And basically, whatever the the gear we had at that time, that's how we created that. But that's basically what that was. And then Chris Cuevas, who was going out with her at the time, yeah. he was signed to Atlantic too. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they were like, "Oh well, we want you to do a mix for him too." All right, whatever. <laughs> and at that same time, yeah. I was I was a, I was in the Warner Group, so I was doing a lot of that stuff. So it was all in the same building. So once we we would go there. We go to Electra. We would go to Warner Brothers, and everybody was just like, "Yo, we got this, boom! We got this, boom!" And then we would go to work, and then come back, and then, and that's how it was. Yeah, you know? the but, main um, thing you guys did was you were really just not using any of the parts from these songs. Like that's the main thing. Like you would get, you would get just little tiny bits of it, and well, really, well, you guys exactly. would just make true club records. You know what I mean? So that joint was to get our foot in the door. So yeah. people can, so people listening would know. Okay, they could they could do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was it was a test. It yeah. was a, it was just basically to show. Okay, we could do these dubs. Yeah, this is what we got. Yeah, and that's basically that was the stepping stone was to put that out and to for them to for people to see like, oh wow, who are these dudes? Yeah, really. And like I said, Mark was on Atlantic. Yeah, um, Debbie was on Atlantic. Chris was on Atlantic. You know, and then everything came right after that. Everything just kept coming from 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 those records, because then you had Epic. They were they were they had their thing over there. They had Little Lewis, and they had all this these other acts. Then when we, once we started traveling to Europe, we would do the same thing. We would go to the labels in England, in London, hmm. and they would they would oh we just did blah, blah, blah. listen to this. Do you like that? Do you hear anything? And that was it. But Honestly, that was the first one. But after that, we had to hear something in the record to inspire us to do the mix. Because it came to, there came a point that people were just throwing things at us just to do yeah. it. Yeah. And paying you tons of money to do this. And I was just like, nah, I can't. Nah, yeah. there's nothing in it for, for, for me to do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So you didn't, but what it is is you, you had gotten, you didn't need that early leverage where you kind of did it with the Debbie Gibson. Now you guys were already big so you didn't necessarily need to do like i'm sure you didn't really like much of the things in the debbie gibson song you get what i'm saying but yeah. but you still did took the job and you guys figured that out but yeah but later well, it's like the thing about it is you, you gotta understand like this is this is like if somebody that's like if you say to me yo i'm working on this record i need i need you to come in and give me your input right i'm gonna come in and give you my input Right now, at that time, like I said, Mark just got we did the album, so now we got the and I was like, Yo, I need your help, man. Like, we're trying to like get them play spins over here, boom, 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 boom. So it was, it was kind of a solid at the same time. We got paid, it was a solid, but at the same time, he's like, You know what? Let's let's do this too because this is gonna help us too. Yeah, you know right. yeah, and that was that was that's how it went down. Yeah. But all right, so I have, I have a question also thinking about this timeline. You know, coming up primarily as as a hip hop and reggae fan, like you said, right? Was there was there initially did you have aspirations of producing other artists, and was there a point where you realized you could just make your own music? Because eventually, you became mostly known for making your own music and and remixes. I had, I had a group. Okay. 
Was it called oh, Chaos? Yeah. Chaos. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I did a record. I did a record with Todd, which is on the original Bad Boy, not Puffy's Bad Boy. Yeah. With yeah. Bad Boy through Eyelids, which was the yeah. whole Warlock Coney Island. Bad Boy was Todd's label, right? That was no, nah, nah, Todd, Todd, Todd had Law House. Bad Boy was part of um, Tony oh, oh, B, who had Idlers, that label Idlers. Idlers the, yeah, the yeah, label yeah. is Jungle Brothers. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, sure. MC yeah. Search's first record was on Idlers, you know, yeah. like yeah. before yeah. Third Base and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So, but I had an album that I did yeah. with Todd. Um, yeah, the Courts in Session, right? Um, Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first thing. So originally I was, I wanted to do hip hop, but at that time, and still to, to, to this day, everything's about crews, man. So yeah. you had a, you had a DJ, you had a producer and you had an MC. Yeah. I had no MCs. Right. I had beats. <laughs> I had no MCs. So yeah. I tried it with the chaos thing that yeah. didn't really, at that time, which I didn't even know, like, it's a classic in the underground scene. Like, it goes it for money. Yeah. Like, the, the, the test pressing goes for, like, $2,000. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But... There's cassette copies I, of it, too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cassettes, too. For real. I wanted to do hip-hop. Yeah. The house thing was, like, I could do that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I already was... Already, like... So, one thing led to another. Um, I started... And actually, let's rewind a little bit because Dope Wax was given to me mm-hmm. by Frank Mendez, who was New Groove Records. Oh, New Groove, yeah, Frank Mendez from New Groove. Oh, I didn't know he gave you that. that. So that was distributed through New Groove? Yeah, yeah. his I wife. Knew, I knew that. I knew that. I'm sorry. His wife was friends with my boss who owned the record store. Okay. There it is. <laughs> so when, 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 when I said to him, I'm like, I really want to go, like, I want to start making records. He was like, All right, boom, he linked me. Frank Mendez, yeah, blessed this man. Yeah, he took me to Sam Ash and said, "Take whatever you want." Okay. Oh yeah. That's how I got my first. You got your equipment. Yeah, he bought me all this. He's like, "Just make me records." What? That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's how I opened. Did he do that story for Joey Beltram too? I know that's not where this is. I don't know, but he might have. Okay, he might have. Okay, that's interesting. That was his style. He was just like, he killed yeah. him crazy nut, you know what I'm saying? Like, running a mile a minute, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. high as hell, like, just... 80s cold, yeah. yeah. you know <laughs> what I mean? And just, but... Yeah. Just like, make me some records. Wow. wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's crazy. It's really yeah. cool. All that through the record store. Record yeah. store, man. I still keep in touch with him. He's in Detroit. I still keep in touch with him. Just okay. check on him and stuff, and... That's cool. I owe that man a lot, man, because he he taught me a lot, like business. He taught me music. He taught me ethics. You know what I'm saying? He taught yeah. me how to speak to people. Yeah. The store environment. How yeah. to, you know, approach, you know, how to, even though if you didn't like something, swallowed it. Yeah. Right? Because you're there for the for people, right? So now right. all these things come into play. When you DJing, when you uh-huh. book shows, yeah, you're yeah. talking to promoters. Yeah. It's all the same. It's all relative. Yeah. But it's like he's seasoning me, not even knowing. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I, I have something to say about that, actually. It, which, which you understand, Kenny? You know, well, you may not know this because me and you have never really had a chop up 
this is the most we've talked ever, which is kind of crazy. Because, yeah. nah, because you know, so, hey, I used to see Armand in the club. Okay. Yeah, no, I, no, I, but, but let me tell him the story before you go, because this is something okay. I don't want to forget to say. Because yeah. so when I was coming up, I had moved from Boston, New York. I was coming up. And the, the main thing that I can explain to people is that Kent, you had to me for most people, I, I was the, we were the general public. We looked at Todd Terry, Kenny Dope, Louis Vega, Dave Morales, Tony Humphreys, Frankie Knuckles, MK, Merck. Okay. I, I might be missing some people, but basically that, that we saw that we're, we're like, we're the commoners. <laughs> you want to say, and we're seeing these guys, I'm going to sound factory bar on Wednesday and I'm seeing them and they literally, I'm not playing with you. We're like the gods of, of, of the Parthenon. Like you guys were like, like everything that we aspired to be, you know, my sound that I was coming up with early, I would just dissect your records, dissect Todd and pal Joey. That's another one. And um, because I have also the hip hop background to house changeover, yeah. you know, and I just was just literally trying to emulate you in any way possible. These are records I didn't put out, but I was just basically copying you. <laughs> and, um, what I noticed when I moved to New York was you guys would have a crew around you at the bar, like two or three people thick. We were deep, deep, deep. Deep. Yeah. Of, of, of the commoners like me, the come up guys, like the guys that are maybe have a record out on some BS label or whatever, like just the people trying to come up and they would just hoard around Kenny Todd and everybody just like anywhere they shifted, they would follow them. And I, and I was just like, I was like, I can't, I can't do this, man. I was like, I was like, I can't like follow these guys around. I'm going to make them come to me. That was like one of my statements. I was like, I'm not going to be next to these guys. Try, try and come next to them. I'm going to make them come to me. And then one day you may not remember this at the fountain blue. I think I may, I knew Todd a little bit. And then Todd introduced me to you and you were mad nice. You were like, yo, I know this dude. Come here. You hanging with us. <laughs> I was literally like, I was like, oh my God. And I, I, that means I got in to that, that inner circle thing, you know, yeah. just for like a hang at the Fountain Blue, you know, by the pool at uh, WMC. Yeah, And it was literally like, we didn't, we talked for a second a little bit. You were like, yeah, you were, you were giving me like two or three lines of amazing advice. You were like, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was, but you were saying something to the effect about get your money. I think it was like, the, it was like you, were like, <laughs> you were like, yo, whatever, this, that, get it up front, get your money. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, check but the coolest thing was I hung with y'all, but I didn't know what to say. So I just was like, I'm with them. And I just stood there and I was happy, but I didn't really want to, I didn't, I saw how people bothered you guys. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know what's crazy? It's I, like, I was very quiet. I just stayed very quiet. But, 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 <laughs> but I was so happy you did that for me, man. Cause uh, that, meant, that meant the world to me. So I'm just letting you know that. So oh, that's what's <laughs> up, man. But no, it, if you, if you remember, it was my my crew from Brooklyn. Yeah, that rolled with me. Yep. Yeah. It was that circle, and that's yeah. it. You ain't yeah. coming in the circle. No, you ain't. All, all the motherfuckers yeah. around. <laughs> now, if you come, if I'm bringing you into the circle, yes, yeah. you are with us, and yeah. you're gonna move with us. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. And, and and whatever whatever is gonna happen, we're moving together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like, and hey, I'm um. Oh my, like, before that, a lot of the older guys, they wasn't letting people in. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They wanted them to themselves. Yeah, yeah. We had a break in. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're gonna hear us. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. they wasn't letting us in. Yeah. They, yeah. Was, they wanted all the work. They want. They had all the labels on lock. Mm-hmm. They yeah. was keeping it to themselves. Yeah. yeah. But when we came in, we had that Brooklyn mentality. It's like, look, if we're going to move, let's move as a unit and let's conquer what we have to conquer and let's keep going. Yeah. And everybody go spread out and do your shit. Do yeah. make your moves. Yeah. You know, that was our mindset. Yeah. You no, know, it wasn't so much that, oh, you know what? Armand, if I let Armand and he's going to come in and take from, he's going to take from us. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. If anything, let's, 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 let's show him the ropes. Let's let him do what he's got to do. And boom, he's out of here. Yeah. yeah. Do what you got to do. I ain't that's mad good. at that. Yeah. And, and that's what it's about. You yeah. know, but there's certain dudes that their egos are so big mm-hmm. that they were intimidated by anybody coming to the table or anybody trying to come into the circle. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you got to recognize people's talent for and, and who they are and, and as a person, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you could tell, you know, we we from from Brooklyn, you like you're around so many different nationalities and so many different types of people that that's how you're brought up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. In my neighborhood was primarily Puerto Rican, but up the street, I had Jewish that were friends of ours. I had Italians to the next. I had African-American and Jamaican over here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And we, we all meshed. Yeah. It wasn't about, Oh, you're black or you're white or this or that. Yeah. Or people's religion. Like that shit didn't even matter. Yeah. It was just like, yo, he's cool. Right. Oh, you know what? Boom. Yo, check this out. He's showing us this. We don't, we don't even know about that kind of music. What's that? Yeah. That's cool. You know what I'm saying? So, so that whole thing about the separation, like mm-hmm. today, how everything's so separate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That shit bothers me, man. Like, you know, so it's like, it's about, you know, pushing forward and, and as much as we could push forward and that's it, you know? So, but there was a lot of talent at that time, like, like ready, like itching to get in, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And that club, especially yeah. a track. So he was talking about sound factory, but it was this one club that Louis played out on a Wednesday night where it was only new music constantly. Okay. So everybody would bring their new shit to the club and he would play it. Okay. But it was rocking though. Yeah. And was, downstairs they did they had another little room where they play hip hop and reggae downstairs. Yeah. Um, but it was all it was an industry night. Yeah. So you had all the labels, all the mm-hmm. artists, all the yeah. producers and DJs yeah. on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And that was popping for a long time. No. Dude, I mean, that place actually it was a it was magic. It was like it was just, yeah. a, just you how you just, like, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember, it got competitive too. I know. Because it's like, oh shit, you heard dude's record that he did, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, we gotta outdo that shit. And then it was like the back and forth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the growth that the the New York New York house music scene exploded, I think, because of that place. Like in other words, it it was that time frame that Masters at Work were basically the top to me, in my opinion. And that and nobody else in the world that did house music could even compete with you guys. We they just we could because you, you guys were bringing in the new Eureka soul. You're bringing in live musicians. 
you were, you know, working with George Benson and, you know, the tracks with India and, and everybody's just like, we, we were just still catching up. <laughs> it was like, like it was, but that, it all happened in that club. Like Louis broke love and happiness in that club. I was there that day. I'm, that's, I still have chills thinking about it. Like, it's just that club would be the, the, the place that the, now it would start right there. Louis would drop the acetate from Europa disc or wherever it was, boom. And then it would be like, and then that, and the, you were, you witnessed it. And then it's like, now the whole world is going to know the song. And that's exactly how it went. The first check it out. Time, yeah. You would nope. be right there. It was crazy. It was no crazy. social media. Yeah. Nothing. No phone. Yeah, Cause I, I don't, I don't know if people know the concept of industry night nowadays. Yeah. Because yeah. the way you guys are describing the scene then. Yeah. Just even the idea that the, label people and the DJs and artists were hanging out at the same place. That's you don't really get that in other scenes. Even in hip hop, you don't really get the label person and the rappers hanging oh, out at the same club. The thing about it is it wasn't just house people. They yeah, was well, yeah, house people. people. Was yeah. 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 Like it was just a mixture of everyone because the night was popping. It yeah. was just like, yo, yeah. ain't nobody gonna mess with you. You go there. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Sure. And you could go have a drink, chill out. Yeah. And that's it. That's you know? all rappers there. I saw Na- Naughty by Nature in there, Queen Latifah. Everybody. Everybody full, came full, force, full force would be there on a regular. It's like <laughs> everybody. Like it was like mad people in there, like just mad heads would roll on there. Yeah, it was it was I was a crazy club. It's an amazing club. Um, Basically it turned into Cheetah. Remember that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turned into it turned into a big rap club after that. It was a little weird for me. It was a bit like kind of heartbreaking a little bit. I, I love my hip hop, but it was like, I felt like I don't know the space in this environment like this, <laughs> but it was fine after a while. But yeah, yeah that's was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, Kenny, um, you know, when Armand mentions, you know, working with musicians, that was something I wanted to ask about too. Like what was, how and when did that process happen? What was it like for you and Louis to even just, to learn how to interact with live musicians and to know how to get the right takes and all that. What was that like? It was, it was natural because we got to a point where we wanted to bring more into it. Yeah. Wanted to bring more to the table. Yeah. You know, instead of, you know, having a keyboard player, play a bass line, we brought in a bass player. Yeah. Let's feel, let's try that. Yeah. Yeah. From bass and turn into bass and guitar. Yeah. All right. So that's cool. Now let's bring the percussion in. Yeah. And it just kept growing. Yeah. But the um, thing is, the implementation of what you guys did, the marriage of, you know, electronic, you know, sampling and drum programming with the musicians, to me, I, it's, that's still one of the best combinations of the two that's ever existed. You know, that that particular New York Soul project. And outside of that, too, because you guys went on to continue that in your sound. And I think that's that's a very difficult thing, you know, uh, at a producer level. It's either easier to just do a whole live sound or stay electronic, but it's hard to it's hard to get them to the mesh and you guys figure that shit out. So Well, it was it was it was me coming from hip hop, Louis coming from the club side. Yeah. Um it was, you know, he is a great arranger. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. arranger. Yeah. Um I learned how to arrange through through playing records. That's how I learned arrangement through just playing music, studying it, um, like learning where things break in, break out, just boom, boom, boom. And it's a feeling thing. Yeah. Like if you if you play those records 
they're not like today's house records. Today's house records are very formulated. Yep. 16, 32, 64, boom, boom. Yep. The fill, the drop, the build up, the boom, the swish. Man. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so if you listen to those records, though, yeah. there's a lot of fading. Yeah. Blend. Yeah. These mm-hmm. things fade in, fade out. Yes. that stuff live. Yeah. To, on the SSL. Yeah. To the computer. Yeah. Like all that interacting is is what we're doing and what we learned as DJs. Yeah. But yeah. now we're bringing that to the studio. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, true. excuse me, to to answer your question about the, the, the instruments is like, we just got bored of one style and was just like, all right, let's go to the next step. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And let's jump into to something else. And we just kept going from there. It just kept going. You know? Did it kind of start with the the that Tito Puente record, Grand Can Can, that you guys did? I feel like that was the first time I felt you guys implemented some kind of live element. That so. came from, again, he was on one, he was, no, he was Electra, maybe Electra. Yeah, he's still Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. so that came through there. And yeah, yeah. when we met Tito, he kind of introduced us to, um, to a lot of the Latin guys. Okay, you know, um, and that's how that whole thing spurred up because mm-hmm. one to the other to the other. It's just like us, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. oh, you know, I'm on boom, or you know, H I got yo yeah. go work with Todd, and it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. all those guys came up together the same, you know, the same way. So. Yeah. When we said, oh, we want to use such and such, or we want to, we would like to work with some, it was just like a phone call. Yeah. Right. So, um, but things kept growing organically and naturally yeah. with us. You know, it was that, it was all natural. You know, we were doing like five records a week, six records a week. Yeah. Just yeah. Every day. Yeah. You were speaking of that, by the way, that's so, um, I saw this record label called Aviate Records. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you even know that story, but Aviate, I started Aviate. Um, you that know, was you, right? Uh, yeah. The party break label, yeah. I started yeah. the label. Was, okay. I started it was on my pager. <laughs> uh, so I started and I was still in Boston at the time. But uh, the record label, my concept for the record label, so when Kenny talks about, this is an important thing with Duck, with me and A-Track too, because our connection is the same connection as, in a sense, you and Louie and the, the hip-hop and house the hip hop and house heart, if you want to call it, you know, it's a, it's a particular thing. And um, it, when I did aviate, I loved your blood vibes. And, and I thought super to me, cause like, I was like, I was already starting to make beats at that time. And the thing is when I, generally it was, you, you made, if you made rap beats, you needed a rapper. That's right. like, you didn't have, you didn't put out an instrumental. <laughs> you just you needed a rapper. And then if you made house music, you were like, I don't need nobody. And you would just find a vocal sample or something. So you could just sit in your house by yourself and make a full record without anybody. Right. Um, so when Super came out, I'll never forget it because I go, well, I know Blood Vibes was first, but right after, I felt like right after Super came out or something. But it's still, I was like, oh man, as I had a revelation, I go, I can produce hip hop and I still don't need, I don't need a rapper. I can just do what Kenny did. Like, mm-hmm. and so when I started Aviate, I was like, I'm just copying, literally copying you. Like, <laughs> I didn't take your drums. I, I know one thing. Right. For some reason, without me and you meeting, I felt 
like you said, kind of like the, the guy that brought you up at the record store, there's an integrity in this thing. And, and I, for some new, new early on somehow, I was like, I'm not going to make it taking Kenny's drums because everybody was taking Kenny's drums. It was like years and years of like, oh, those are Kenny's drums, you know? And it was like, it became a, it, it became a thing at some point. And my yeah. thing was like, I'm doing anything not to do that. Cause it's, there was an integrity thing in there. But anyway, so I started aviate copying you, but I was like, I have to copy you, but with integrity. <laughs> so, so I was like, I'm going to do hip hop on one side of the record and, and house on the other. And so, and what you guys did, like on the, on the cutting, the cutting records releases, that's how every, every 12 inch would have one side hip hop. But, but Louis, but Kenny and Louis invented it. They invented because they, because a lot of people at that time, you would play hip hop and you would play house in the set at the party. It was just, that's what felt good, you know? So there was no boundaries. Exactly. So the thing is, so we would, so my thing was when I started Aviate was it, the first releases on Aviate have a house side and a hip hop side. And I was yeah. just literally copying what kind of Louis and Kenny came up with just probably not even thinking, not even thinking about it, but that's, you guys are invented the party breaks really. And the idea of putting out a hip hop instrumental, but killing the club with it. Like, you know, and then you end up with, you know, Brooklyn clan and all these records down the line, but you guys invented that, you know? So where that comes from yeah. the record store. Yeah. yeah. From being yeah. a salesman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Think about it. Yeah. Now yeah. I got hip hop dudes. They buy two of everything. Yeah. Some of them bought three. Yeah. And then I got the house guys that buy one. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking sales. I'm thinking numbers. Yeah, yeah. That's how that, that's how that whole tra- thing transpired. That's crazy. I mean, Kenny, I, I know a little bit about that too because when I came up first in the scratch DJ scene and we, you know, we used to make those break records with the scratch samples. Yeah. That shit sold like crazy. Like, you know, me and Craze, we came up a little bit after Hubert and them. Hubert mm-hmm. and those guys, they were making the, 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 the battle records. So we started making our own. It would cost nothing to make and we would sell them for more than a 12 inch. And scratch DJs would buy like not two copies, four copies because they would wear out their first two. Yep. That shit, we made so much bread off of that back then. I'm still trying to figure out the digital way to, 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 to you know, to what we were doing with those break records. Well, you know what? It's going back to the vinyl now. Yeah, it might just be pressing records again. It's no, it is. It is. Yeah, which well, actually it makes me think. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and I can already anticipate that the answer is going to point back to your experience at the record store again is you um i don't remember if you told me that you currently have a, rec- a pressing plant or you were you had a, you were acquiring a recipe or that you're in that world of actual of pressing plants too right like there's not a lot of people in our field who can think that big who can even think that it's possible to press stuff themselves a lot of people just have this sense of like oh well someone else does that and i wonder if like just the fact that you were in that environment so young you there's like you, 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 you understand every step of from I've been around making it. the record to set, to pressing the record to getting a customer to buy it. I feel like you know every piece Our of work, it. Labels, yeah, record jackets, yeah, stampers, mastering, lacquers, record pressing, configurations, <laughs> forty five, thirty three, right, it goes on and on and on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you, you got it. 
if if this is it's, it's like anything else, man. Like you 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 drive race cars. You know everything about what happens in that race car. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotta yeah. know everything about it. You know what I'm That's saying? Cool. Yeah. You, you 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 play tennis. That racket, right? It's about that, like how you you hit that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. with, the, with the music, it's very. I take this very serious. Like this is not this is not a game. It started off as fun. But the more you get into it and the more I got into it and, 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 and got my feet wet, I wanted to know every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Not to my mixtapes. I wasn't selling my mixtapes to tape masters. I went and bought my own machines to make my own tapes. I went to the printer, printed my jackets, my, my J cards, and yeah. sold my tapes at the store. Yeah. Because I said, you know what? I'm going to invest in myself so the money I st- the, the money stays within myself. Yeah. Not that I'm going to sell my master for $100 and he's going to make 2 3000 off of it. Right. So the same thing goes with the mu- with the records. Like mm-hmm. being being at the store, seeing all that stuff firsthand, you know, yeah, I did record deals with certain people, but I also got burned. Mhm. Through making these deals because you know as you as you as you grow you make mistakes right everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes we all mm-hmm. do and I did some bad deals but now it's like okay so I want to make my own thing so I knew enough because of being at the store of how records were being repressed so how do they make you know so but then I did notice that Sometimes you got the repressing on a different label, but it was the same record. Right. Different typeset. Like yeah. this is how deep it goes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the typeset is different. Yeah. But why is it different? Yeah. They pressed it somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at the same spot. Mm-hmm. So like all these things I start learning about it. But then, you know, as I continued owning the label, I knew it was important for me to keep my parts for me to keep my artwork, because if uh, uh, if I needed to order more records, I have those assets. The assets mm-hmm. are important. Mm-hmm. Like, it drives me nuts when I speak to somebody and they like, oh, I don't have those tapes no more. Oh, I don't even have those discs anymore. Mm-hmm. What'd you do with them? Oh, well, I left <laughs> them in my mom's crib and she threw my whole, she cleaned out my whole room and it's in the, it, it got thrown out. I'm like, that's some of your most, classic shit like why would you throw it? like leave it you know what I mean yeah. like I guess it's the collective side too yeah. of, mm-hmm. of of just keeping stuff mm-hmm. you know yeah but um yeah I definitely the pressing the pressing plant concept is definitely something I want to do cool. that's dope you I know I, like, I think people should know too I don't know I mean I've known this forever but I, I don't know per se if this is common knowledge, but Candy Dope is, I'm going to guess and say in the top 20, 25 record collectors probably in the United States or even in the world. Am I right to say that or am I off? I got a lot of records, but I don't know. I don't know. I, like, no. 
other other friends of mine who have collections say, I got an ill collection. I know I have an ill collection. I know well, everybody I've ever talked to that's even considered a collector don't even doesn't even know that I know you or or know of you at least. Your mm-hmm. name always comes up in those circles. Right. So right. that's why I always think if the line, you know, Occam's razor, if the lines keep getting drawn to Kenny, Kenny's collection has got to be on a on an epic level of like the biggest and best collectors of vinyl that exist on this planet. Kenny's up probably up there, you know, high. Yeah. So see, yeah. and again, it 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 stems from those teenage years because yeah. learning about music and wanting to incorporate different styles, you start getting, you know, um, all this other stuff that comes into play that you didn't even think you would like. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, to think that my boss was like, yo, you need to learn about rock. I'm like, rock? <laughs> I fucking with that white boy shit. Like, get out of here with that. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. when he said yeah, but you're going to like this. And he's going to, he starts playing beats. I'm like, whoa. So then, you know, the palette grows, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so now you got, now you got this taste for, for this rock stuff. And you're like, damn, that's funky. Like, you know what I mean? And then when you start learning about Toys in the Attic, and then mm-hmm. you start learning about where Beasties got this and where Rick Rubin did this, and then mm-hmm. and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So that's how the records keep growing. Yeah, it keeps growing because you want to collect that. And then me being a purist, I want to know who recorded it, what they used to record it, (laughs) what machines they were recording with. You know what I mean? Because now I'm just sucking it all up. Like this room in here is is my library. Like I can pull out anything and just listen. Yeah, get and there's jewels here because yeah, Yeah. you're not gonna get that from from YouTube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Granted, all the kids, they sampling from it or whatever the case may be. That's, that's their way of digging. That's, that's the new age of digging. And, and granted, they don't, they didn't come from our school. They didn't read the jackets. They didn't come up reading samples and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a room like this, you're like, Wow, it just feels good. it feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels like the spirits. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in that top twenty-five, but there is there, there's well, dudes well, that. Well, for me, I'm just I'm shooting that number out there. To me, you could be like top three as far as on a personal. I don't even know, but you know, I just you've just come up in a lot of conversation. Another thing that people came up and told me about you a lot was they were like Kenny's thing. I don't know if they're making this up. They go, Kenny's thing is like he reads the musicians on the record and then he finds other he'll be digging. And if he see he remembers, he might look at it once because he likes that record and be like, that drummer was ill, never seen his name before. And then Kenny, when he does his digs, will be like, boom, I don't know this record, but there's my drummer. Right. Just buy it because you like I remember that dude. And like that's. That's some high level digging, you know, like to remember the musicians and log that all in. And then when you get on the dig, you're like, what's this? Flip it. I know that trumpet player. Boom. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're into sound, right? So yeah. sound. And again, yeah. it's back on that that painting shit. Like, yeah. like 
all these textures make what we love. Yeah. Now, if we understand how to make what we love, we're a step further. Yeah, yeah. Because we already know what the ingredients are. We just got to make it. Yeah. But you have to teach yourself the ingredients and how to how to cook, how to chef it up. Yeah. So so by me for years, like, dude, in my writers, they thought I was fucking crazy. (laughs) There's 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 DJs, writers that got prostitutes, ecstasy and blah, blah, blah. My writer has record stores in the 90s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is the list of the stores we're going to and the driver needs to know. And this is the order we're going to them in after he throw airport. <laughs> That's amazing. Before That's you check in the hotel. Yeah. Damn, so Germany, how, let's say in you were Germany, in, listen, in Germany, in France. That's crazy. In so Sweden. what did you do? Would you buy you? Would you buy a ton and then ship it? What, what would you do? Like, no. Bro, no? we were playing vinyl back then. No, but what I'm saying is when you would go on these, on your ride, they were in the bag coming home with us. Okay, so you just carried. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. You got to understand. Yeah. We we were playing vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so either it was, we would bring an empty box, it was going in the box. Yeah. Or it was coming yeah. on the plane with us. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I remember traveling with you and Louie a couple times in those days, and I'm not making this up, A-Track. People carry generally. People carry two record um, vinyl bags, right? <laughs> Louis and Kenny. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Louis and Kenny, because I think we were all waiting for our bags one time. And Louis and Kenny, I, I think you guys had ten record bags at least. <laughs> was that? We have five each. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was, I was like, that's. I was like, I can't even believe y'all try. And the cart, you know, you get, you put the little euro in the cart, and yeah. You, pull the cart out like it would literally be like Kenny would be walking and that cart would just be like wow it'd be like a mountain <laughs> with like the bags and then the records and then Louie too and it'd be like wow and just like two mountains coming at you I'm like I'm like god it's like and they, they did that for all they shows they the carried promoters, that mountain. the promoters hated their shit because we're like we ain't paying for that shit yeah <laughs> the, the overage charges they ain't paying it I was like I ain't paying that shit like, that was a lot of records, though, man. It was just crazy. You want us to come play? Okay, this is the fees, and this is the excess baggage. Fees. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's one thing I don't miss is yeah. the excess baggage charge and all that. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, man, it's 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 crazy though. There's crazy stories though, because after a while, people knew our real names. Yeah, and all the guys that worked at the airports, they were DJs too. Yeah. You know, go yeah. missing. Like, yeah. you should go to a spot and ready. I'm like, damn, I put that record there. Where is it? And you would look, yeah. look, it's gone. Yeah. Next thing you know is the acetate, which was something we just cut because it's something we test. We wanted to test this weekend. I know. Next thing, the next following week, the shit was bootleg. Yep. I remember these stories. Like Crazy. that. Yep. I know. Crazy. In the UK, especially. Hell yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That was that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I heard of that too. Yeah. Well, me and A with Duck Sauce, like when we kind of started up our thing, we didn't know what we wanted to do. But you know, A Track's predominantly from from hip hop as well. You know, he's a a generation back from me, mm-hmm. but but he's a hip, true hip hop head. And when he was like, "Let's collab," 
he kind of came up with our sound like he's like let's do disco house and i was like okay and go go back to sampling and, and i was like what i was like yes please um but the the thing that we always stuck with us Bumper, any right. song when we were sitting together Bumper, making us that, that, that one's that, <laughs> that one, you gotta make one for the kids Nah, that was, it was dope, man. Shit. Yeah, but um, but the thing is, like, we tried to, in a sense, capture what you and Todd kind of, and and with Louis and and even you know the David David Morales. Yeah, but, but, but the David thing Morales is- comes from hip hop too. But we wanted to somehow continue in the tradition, in a sense, of having a house in hip hop. Thing. Maybe our end result is Barbara Streisand. But, but, no, listen, but, but listen, that's yeah. the thing about yeah. it is that yeah. shit ain't corny though. Right. You know what I'm so it's yeah. like, so yeah. it's like you even though that's what's so dope about it. Because yeah. now you yeah. influence from us, yeah, but you made something yours. Sure. That's yours. Yeah. All I kept hearing for years was yo, can you call Armand and them? He don't want a DJ. <laughs> He doesn't want to go out. <laughs> he needs six figures to go. I'm like, hey, listen, dude doesn't want to travel. I, he's <laughs> if he's telling you no, I'm gonna I'm gonna convince him to say, yo, go do this party. I yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. bro, for, for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like he doesn't that's not his thing. He makes yeah. his records. If he does, if he's saying no, I can't help <laughs> But anyway, we just wanted to say, you know. We really tried to harness our sound through what you you developed. Not unknowingly, I think you, um, you know, found a sound for house music. You know, because really, if you really look at the timeline, you had that Chicago house thing, and then New York kind of Todd Terry doing Royal House, and now now we have like a you know New York found like a template to continue in its sound, and then it just New York just I hate to say it, but. Chicago heads won't like this, but you know, Chicago continued on in its sound. It still stayed like a tracks record banger, you know, with cashmere relief and mm-hmm. um, casual records and stuff. But he's, they would still do the Chicago sound. They had a little bit of a garage sound, a little bit, but predominantly New Yorkical. Like you, you remember, like it was like all the records were coming out of New York. Jersey sound was blowing up, everything. So, but we. I One think we, is, me and A Track were just trying to with our thing was just to make sure that we stay true to the hip hop and house background and and to c- continue that and it's just crazy because it's like you know you guys did it not uh, not even thinking about just you were just in the moment hey this is what's happening you know but right. it's important it's important for us to have to keep that thing going so on the beat side yeah. on the beats side yeah I always wanted things to be hard. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. that was, and that was the pop side yeah. of me wanting to join mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, I'm like I want that shit in your face. You know yeah. what I mean? Fuck all that soft shit. Like you know what I mean? Like you're in a club, you want to feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. I, we were rowdy back then. We had our crew. We was just like, man, that shit is soft. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like come with it. So yeah. my thing was, and that's why I always about the drums with our stuff. Yeah, first, yeah. first. Mm-hmm. I would listen to when when I was listening to records to play, dumb beats wasn't popping. I said next, well, next, next. Mm-hmm. Like, but drums is a foundation of 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 what this is, mm-hmm. you know what I'm mm-hmm. and that's why everybody was trying to get, especially England, they were trying to copy the sound. Yeah, 
yeah. can't copy the sound. Yeah. They never, like, they never they were all using computers. They were using computers and they were trying to, like, I would hear records and I'm like, those are my patterns in the record. But they yeah. sound all fucked up because they got them. It's not a machine. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. yeah. So yeah. for a while, I started yeah. fucking with people, honestly. To be honest, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but yeah. I started messing with people yeah. because when they started doing that whole thing, I yeah. started using two machines at the same time. Oh, and just okay. mess up the whole quantizing the, and the signature, the time signature of the beats. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. I was <laughs> You know, that's I was crazy. like, man, I'm going to mess up, mess their whole world up, you know? That's funny. I was just yeah. having fun with it. I remember yeah. that, too, because they were all, UK was, the UK thing was like, go start with Kenny Dope drums, find some chords, sample some chords from Louis, and then we'll go from there. Like, basically, right? That was about it. Like, it was like, it was, it was almost like, just do that and we'll have a record. It, it was uh, like that. There was, there was a lot of. Let me tell you, a lot of great records that came from 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 overseas too. Like that, are friends of ours that that's yeah. the same way how you were influenced. Yeah, we were influenced by them too, yeah. and they got influenced by us backwards, and they created something else. Like, remember? I don't know if you remember the Warp label. Warp, Warp, Warp. oh, hundred percent, yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. records oh, out of that label. I miss on wax. Yeah, yeah. Drum was another label. There was yeah. tons of labels out there that they, they were bang, bang the party. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, doing it like, and again, it was just like that trade off, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about certain, certain, there were certain individuals that were trying to actually take the skeleton and then create something out of the skeleton, but you could hear it back and be like, that's a mess. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what's funny, the, weird, the weirdest thing through what you're saying, the weirdest thing is that UK garage, if you want to call it that garage <laughs> and two step actually are Kenny's drums. So they took Kenny's drums and his swing mm. and Kenny would be like in a 122, 123 BPM pocket. Right. They put it at like 132. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, but they would grab, a, they would grab Kenny's drums and ha- on a half bar. And then for some reason, cause the way Kenny's hats were, the way he programmed it, it had this amazing swing just half bar like yeah, that. Well, and then they would chop the snare. They would chop Kenny's snare to fill it in. And that's basically UK Garage and, and Two Step is is originally Kenny's drums for sure. And, and you know, drum and bass started from Blood Vibes on Forty Five, right? I that I didn't know. That's amazing. I did not know that story. <laughs> I did not know that story. Play, play Blood Vibes and the bass line. <laughs> yeah. Bass tones. Yeah. On Forty Five to slow it down. Yeah. That's coming from straight from them. They're like, yo, this shit came from this record. Okay, but they were doing early. Breakbeat and Jungle, one of the things that they would do was put all rap and hip-hop on 45. So that makes sense. That but makes, that, that's how it started. The Amen break on 45, you know? A lot of the heads told me, yo, that comes from that. I was like, I, 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 I believe it. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. I mean, I, we, could, we could do this for hours. I know, we could talk for hours. with this. <laughs> Yo, actually, super random, Kenny. Do you know? So I grew up in Montreal, right? There was a radio, sh- a college radio show when I was a teenager that was called Masters at Work. But obviously, it wasn't you guys. It was two guys from Montreal that right. college radio show. It was one of, one of the only radio shows in the city that was playing hip hop, and they were called Masters at Work. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, well, you still in touch with them? I haven't talked to those guys in a long time. 
I talked to, I'm still in touch with some of the heads from the, the hip hop scene from when I was growing up, but not, not those dudes specifically. But so for me, it was, it took me a couple of years to figure out that there was another masters at work that was actually a bigger deal in the year. Cause I, I knew that name from my hometown. And I was like, wait, this is another one. But Canada always had a dope music scene. Oh yeah. Yeah. Incredible true. vibes. Yeah. My thing was, it was a motherfucker to get in, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the stuff. don't like that, man. <laughs> and then, by the way, both ways for us to get into the U.S. I was getting booked at my first shows when I was like 15. I was getting grilled by American like border agents. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why can't I go to, I, to my show? So, yeah. so I had a like, I love Canada, man. Like the parties were, but I, I couldn't go. Yeah. Because every time I used to go. It was. It took me longer to get in than the flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I love this place, but fuck this place at the same time. <laughs> I was like, nah, because it was just like, yeah. How can it take so long to get in? Yeah, yeah. No, no. And 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 with me, it was my last name. They were looking for this dude for years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's like. Every time flag go over there, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 and they would wait, yeah. and then you know how you do. You got to do the papers over there, like you can't mm-hmm. pre it. You have to, yeah. you have to go there. So I was just like, so there was a period I didn't go up there because it was just yeah. like it was so tough to get in. It is. You know? What's your late, longest wait in that waiting room? Because I've had a long <laughs> hours. Hours, yeah, me. I've had like I've had a four hour wait. Yeah, actually, I, one time they made me miss my flight too. I'm sure uh, yeah. leaving. Over there, coming back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. It's like I'm like, yo, what's the problem? You know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. So it's, it's it's it was always hard to get in, and and I I feel bad because there were so many parties that we could have did, mm-hmm. and the people the people and they enjoyed it, and they they just yeah they just different vibes, and mm-hmm. and we just couldn't do it because it was just like I, I can't do it. It's funny you say that because I people have asked me as well. They're like, "Oh, you're you gonna just have- don't go nowhere though. You don't go anywhere. Like, <laughs> it's not Canada. Don't even try to feel like it's Canada and shit. Like you don't go anywhere." <laughs> so, but, I, but Canada, it's funny. It, it's out of out of you know my DJ travels. Yeah, maybe they're not as much, but in my travels, I always always am flabbergasted by Canada. I'm just like. Why it's like you can go anywhere, you can go all the way to Australia and you just walk right in. No, but you like, know what it is? You know what like, it is? Canada is just such a disaster. So. Yeah, but if you think about it, the US Canada border is so long. I know, I know. They had to make it not to just, I mean, I hate the fact that it was so tough for, for uh, musicians from the US to go into Canada, but the explanation they'll give you in Canada is that border is so long. Yeah. They had to make the border really tight because yeah. if not, people will be coming in everywhere. Yeah, I mean, if anything, they should just assimilate. This yeah, they should share some <laughs> sort of border, man. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yo, you had it. You had it. Yo, so so a track when when he finally did a defective show, it was like the whole the, like the world was gonna end. 
When her mom finally did it. Yeah, when her mom finally did it, it was like, hey, we got our mom. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, come it. it when he finally did it, I was like, oh, that's good, man. They were so happy to have you. Because, like, everybody for years was trying to get this dude, man. And he would nah, I'm not going. I'm not going. Especially through the speed garage era, too. Like, when they were kind of like, kind of jocking my sound, if you want to say, and I just wasn't going there. It's kind of weird, you know, <laughs> um, just like a weird time. But okay. <laughs> it was, it was the perfect, the perfect thing is, man, it's like, even like, like Fat Joe, for instance, like Fat Joe used to be like, yo, you're on these planes. And I'm like, dude, you got to go to these countries, man. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, cause you know what? It gets to a point where people are like, oh, he ain't fucking with us. We ain't fucking with him. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Joe, Joe used to be scared to fly, right? That he didn't, he was like, nah. But then he, he started, you know, he's, he finally went and he saw himself. He was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Like, no, he, 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 they genuinely love your shit. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, man. Damn. It's, it's so wonderful to have you, man. Like, crazy. Be safe, man. Yeah, you have too. Have a good uh, holiday yeah. and, yeah, try to, try to be safe out here because it's crazy. Yeah. Wild West. Thank you, man. And you, you too as well. All right. Sure. Word up. Yep. Thanks, Kenny. Take off, man. All right. Peace. All right. Later. <laughs> What's up, Kenny? Thank you so much, man. All right. No problem. Later. Cool. <laughs>